the Code Hanger on 2SER 107.3 FM. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land in which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Euro Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Code Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. Once again, I'm your guest host, kind of filling in for the amazing Fee Lamb, because you're about to find out in a second, because guess who's joining us? Hello! <laughs> I'm Fee. <laughs> Coming to you from Garingai, uh country, and I've stuffed up the order, but I'm joined by... <laughs> Coach Kiwi's coming to you from Guringai Country too. Woohoo! <laughs> That's a hard act to follow. Emma Phillips here, happily talking to you from Bidjigal Country. And Tracy Kicks, still in Darawal Country. Fee, this is your show. You can mess up the order however you like in, in whatever particular way you want. But we are talking about, obviously, who was the best and fairest in the AFLW for season 2022.1, if we want to look at it that way. We're also going to talk about a shoey, yes. More signings have been announced, but we have a premier. It is the Adelaide Crows, 13-point winners over Melbourne. Dr. Emma Phillips, let's start with you. How do you rate Adelaide's performance in the grand final? Did they dominate Melbourne? Was it a 50-50 fair in your point of view? How do you evaluate grand final for season number six? Yeah, look, they were great, Adelaide, weren't they? And I think probably didn't dominate the Ds. And maybe this match went more or less as we expected it, that they would they would win the game, they wouldn't necessarily dominate Melbourne, and it would sort of roll out, you know, pretty well in their favour across all lines. And that is pretty much the game we saw. I think, I think uh, given, you know, how difficult this season has been for, for everybody who's been involved in AFLW for all the teams, the three premierships that Adelaide have now, I reckon they might regard this as the sweetest, given how hard the season has been. And they came out firing. I just think, um, you know, Melbourne gave everything they had. They stuck to their game plan. They were rigorous in their sort of calm approach to, you know, chipping the ball around and maintaining their, their structures. And they still couldn't deal with Adelaide. You know, Adelaide just wore that and wore that and all the way through the game were, were super disciplined. And at the end of the day, you know, Melbourne actually won in a number of the key stats, including clearances and stoppage clearances. But again, Adelaide's skill and finesse and finish, I think, just got them over the line. I just, right from the outset, it felt like Adelaide had that belief. They just knew they were going to win. That's the sense I got. And Melbourne were just kind of scratching and scrimping for anything they could get. So all power to them. They thoroughly deserved it, but they didn't dominate. Melbourne were thereabouts. Maybe we'll see them next year. I agree with some of the stuff that you say, Em. I thought um, Adelaide came and played um, like this premiership meant more to them. I Mm. think, you know, they, they just, you know, were just hard at the ball and it was a, it was a very highly contested game um, around, you know, any of the little melees that went on. Um, it was very hard for either team to really break open and go um, to their free-flowing style that we've seen uh, in some matches throughout the season. So the scoreline was extremely low and it's kind of sad to see it. Well, probably unsurprised the trolling that goes on because of a low score without actually watching the game. But um, I thought the tackle pressure was incredible. And I think, you know, we talked about the back line that, Adelaide have and with Radjix, um, Randall and Sarah Allen down there, it was, they were just so hard to get past. And, you know, 
even even the midfield, I thought the midfield really put up a really solid wall that prevented D's going into their forward 50 early in the game. And, um, you know, and it took it took a while before we saw Daisy Pierce uh, pop up behind the ball rather than, you know, in front, which, you know, was a key change later in the game. And, and there were a couple of times when she got it and it was like, oh, you kind of need her up there mm. as an option now. But, um, you know, they they provided some absolute power through through their back end of the field and um, you know their midfield we spoke so much about Hatchard and Marinoff being key factors in there and you know they they did they were solid throughout and obviously Hatchard won um, the best on ground medal um, but you know Dees did put up a fight and they never gave up and they were fighting right to that last minute to go and I think one of the commentators said oh it's a minute to go a few of them were celebrating on the sideline I thought hmm there's been a couple of games. <laughs> decided in that last minute this season. <laughs> so don't celebrate too early, but um, but yeah, good on them. Good on them. They, um, I think they all know what everyone's talking about is that this is probably their last time together. So, you know, that's sort of a little bit of how they played and how they celebrated. Yeah, well, we, uh, we, we watched it um, in the pub in um, the entertainment quarter next door to the SCG because a friend of mine uh, gave me some tickets for that game, the Swans game. Shout out to Keith McInnes, the lovely Keith. And um, so we were, were in there and I was very nervous wearing my mask, wearing my beanie on my bald head and just feeling a bit sort of, well, scared really because no one else was wearing masks and I, I just was a bit concerned about uh, we would have loved to have gone, of course, to Adelaide, but there was no way I was going to risk going uh, on a flight. Anyway, so I was sitting there quietly enjoying the game and then I don't I can't even remember which D's player it was who didn't who obviously is a right McNamara. Right she was not quietly it. enjoying the game. So <laughs> I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and I yelled out, Oh, kick it on your left. <laughs> and everyone stared at us. You know, in that, the pub. you know, in those movies, everything stops and everyone turns and looks. <laughs> that was us. Sorry. Enjoy your meals. <laughs> Like in the saloon when your doors swing open. They're all sworn supporters, so I think they then, you know, tweaked. We're just watching the football. They all understand. But, yes, she was not quietly enjoying it at all. (laughs) One thing I observed, I thought um, thought at one stage, it must have been about middle of the second quarter, I thought, Adelaide are just going to run away with this. And people were watching me and I said, I'm predicting they're going to win by 25 points at that point in time. It's just at the point in time. I think Kiwi, um, it was uh, late in the second quarter that Daisy bobbed up behind the ball towards the uh, halftime siren. And um, I just felt that every time Melbourne went inside 50, they never really looked set up to to score. Um, So... And, and Adelaide just had far more control of their forward 50, I think, overall, and that was reflected in the number of shots and the time, number of times they went in fit, mm. inside 50. But uh, to Melbourne's credit, I reckon they battled super hard and actually got themselves right into the game. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it was going to happen in that last-minute Kiwi because I think they had to kick three. I think that might two <laughs> might be possible, three might yeah. not be. I was feeling but, for the uh, big supporters. <laughs> But it was actually, I thought, like I enjoyed the game because I thought at one moment there, I thought, oh, this is going to be a bit of a whitewash. But Melbourne kept the pressure up and they battled hard. And, you know, my theory is that you never win the first premiership that you're in. Um, So, you know, maybe they'll come back next year. 
A few questions on that grand final. I first of all ask our coaches in the room and Tracy Kick and Coach Kiwi. And Emma did, Phillips is a coach. Did you know that? I did not know that. Juniors, does it count? Of course it does. Always. Everything counts. Well, uh, let me pose the question. And did, I'm not coaching anymore, so really Emma's more of a coach than I am. Did Doc <laughs> Clark outcoach Mick Stanier? You know, I think that's a that's a really interesting question because early in the game, early to the mid part of the game, I was really getting frustrated with, but first, I think here where you touched on it, the way they played Daisy Pierce, but also the way they played Taylor Harris. And it was, you know, how many times did Melbourne have to go forward to put it into a pack of three or four crows where Harris was and be that real sort of Harris happy, Harris centered way of playing to go, you know what, this isn't working. Let's change it up. And for mine, she's a player that could have done real damage higher up the ground much earlier. And she did drift up there late in the game a couple of times and got a bit of the ball too. But I just think that they really handed the ball back to Adelaide a number of times by leaving her deep in the forward line and having players just focus on that. You know, when they've got a Bannon running free that they could have, slotted in. I'll take us back to our last pod where we might have suggested use Harris as a decoy. <laughs> <They didn't. laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, I, look- I think you nailed it, Em. And, um, you know, we did, we talked about the speedsters that demons have and making use of them. And so, yeah, putting Taylor or others, you know, big charging forwards as decoys, they didn't do it. They didn't expose the you know that they're they're a quicker forward line than what um, Crow's backline were. So, um, but you know I think Clark had his team really well organised, and even when he moved personnel around, mm-hmm. he really did it with some finesse, and they just were able to just get a little edge here and a little edge there and a little edge, and it just um, kept ticking over. I feel like he had a you know slightly better personnel across the ground, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that that's to his advantage. But yeah, I agree. And, I think the other thing, if Taylor Harris had come up, there were a couple of instances where Taylor did come up. Then there was nothing to kick to. But if if mm. they sucked all those defenders who were following Harris up and then kicked it to space over the top and let Bannon run onto it, then that's a different, you know, that's a different kind of kettle of fish. They tried to do that, I think, once, and mm. you know, she was obviously being closely watched anyway. But um, you know, but that. I agree with you, and they just kept trying to put it on top of Harris's head. But there were like four defenders in there, and just was never that was never going to work. Yeah. Well, also, can I just say that they did use you know the girl that had the dark hair that I couldn't remember her name, Caitlin Gould. (laughs) They did use her in the ruck like we thought they might, um, with um, McKinnon not being successful with her um, match review uh, panel. But um, I thought Jasmine Hewitt did really well. To be, you know, pretty pretty much caught up at the eleventh hour, not not playing a lot of football. He did very well and kicked a snag. <laughs> the first one. Yeah, gotta love that. Yep, happy with that. Since you mentioned the name uh, Taylor Harris, of course, you know me. I always seem to find to get myself in controversy and hot water, as always, on Twitter. Um, I want to know if you agree with this statement I made because Melbourne supporters have ripped into me and I've got a feeling the Outer Sanctum's probably going to shish kebab me at some stage during the week. I said there are three certainties in life, death, taxes, and Taylor Harris going missing in an AFLW grand final. <laughs> I think well, it's rough because of who was marking on her. Like, credit to the defender as well. 
Lay off our Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you, Pete. I mean, you, she is one of the out-and-out big-time players in the AFLW and it is on players like that to perform in big games. That's why you have them, you know. And, you can, yes, she's had some great defenders on her, but she, she goes missing. What's that, three uh, premierships she's lost at three different clubs now, three. all to Adelaide? And no one in VFL, AFL history, men's or women's, has achieved that uh, record. What a record. Now, let me pose to you about someone who did perform on AFLW Grand Final Day. All your personal impressions on the fine work of Anne Hatchard. Amazing. Can Swan sign her? (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't she become the player? Hasn't she just really, you know, in her first year or two, she was thereabouts, you just weren't sure, but she's just grown into herself, hasn't she? And she dominates now and she believes that she's the the player that we see. That's the difference. Confidence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right, The difference is confidence and, you know, confidence breeds confidence and success breeds confidence and more success. So I think she's just gone from strength to strength. She's fantastic, no doubt about it. She's built quite a um, partnership with Marinoff as well when, um, probably were a little bit unlucky that Marinoff may have taken some best and fairest points off her, but, you know, I also think Batesy was well-deserved too. Let's talk about a player who not only performed well in one game, but across many a games. Let's talk about the W Awards and the AFLW League Best and Fairest. Everyone, do a shoey for Emily Bates. I will give the floor to Tracy Kick. She is from your beloved Brisbane Lions, the first <laughs> Queenslander as well to win the League Best and Fairest. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, you've got to be stoked with that, to be a bit of a Queenslander and say stoked. Um, and, you know, I would have had a rum and coke in a shoey too, Emma Phillips. But, um, <laughs> but um, I think... I was well-deserved. I mean, her. I, I loved her approach this year. You know, she just wanted to be go that extra mile um, or, or do the little things, I think it was, that, that would bring her to that next level, and she absolutely worked hard to do it. So I think it was well-deserved. There was hot contention for that best and fairest. There were, you know, some other very worthy people in there. But, um, yeah, look. All power too. I think it was a fantastic achievement. I hope it's not true that, uh, you know, if there are offers on the table, I'm sure there are offers on the table, you'd give them to any best and fairest winner and some of the previous ones, perhaps even Peter. But um, I think, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic achievement. And, um, yeah, it's a great, she's a great story and, you know, a great story for Queensland footy as well. Now, as we record this uh, program, we do know, first of all, in Sydney football, that we have at least two movements from the GWS Giants going over to the Sydney Swans. The first announced move was Rebecca Privatelli, who originally joined the program around 2018, uh, ended up taking a, a year off um, uh, just to uh, take some time away from sport, came back, played the last couple of years, and has now seek to try and rejuvenate her career at the Swans. And young ruck Ali Morford is also on the way to the Sydney Swans. I, I guess that's maybe pre- predicted early that we were going to see, not to downplay their efforts, but a few fringe players were going to go first because naturally there may have been some doubt whether they were going to retain a contract or not with the Giants. Yeah, I think, um, I just think Ali Morford, I've seen her play in the under-18, um, you know, competition. And I just don't think that Giants gave her enough game time to really see what she can bring. 
and um, you know, and maybe that's contributed to her decision making as well. That she can go there and you know perhaps get first choice as a ruck because um, they haven't signed any other rucks yet. Um, you know, whereas Erin will stay and be first choice at Giants. I'm not too sure what the update is on Jess Allen if she comes back or is she released now or that's because it was one year inactive and now it's been two, right? So I don't know what the Giants are doing with her, but um, but anyway, good on Ali and and you know I'm stoked for Privatelli. She was another one that was in and out of the team this year and um, certainly can bring something if you use her strength. And you know her strength is you know pretty much a high marking forward. So um, not quite the style of game that Giants play, but I think she's certainly still got something to offer. Yeah, Kiwi. I think that. Privatelli will offer an immense amount also in a leadership role with the Swans. And, of course, a new team is really in need of that. And I think I've said this before, but I think in the very early days of the AFLW in those fledgling couple of years, there weren't enough of those sorts of leaders across the, across the teams. So they may have identified that and, and reached out to her partly for that reason as well. Um, she's sort of a natural leader anyway, Privatelli. And, um, you know, I mean, as you say, she has immense skill. And I think I, I wonder whether actually in, if she's in that sort of role looking after younger players, whether she'll actually grow a step in her own game as well. I suspect that'll that'll happen. She possibly is um, a little bit on the slow side for the way that the game has has progressed and the speed of the game now. But I think she'll make up for that with with her, you know, with, with her leadership and the way she moves around the field. All right, let's talk about Essendon now, Pete. Well, <laughs> well I had a shout out to Pretty I, 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 I was holding off, but let's do it. And <laughs> as we record, Essendon Football Club actually have made it official now. They have taken from the Carlton Football Club, first of all, Georgia D, a very handy small four from them, one of the better players on the Carlton list. But a recent. League best and fairest, three-time club best and fairest at Carlton, but grew up as an Essendon supporter. Maddie Presparkis is coming home. Maddie Presparkis, <laughs> Georgia D to Bomberland. And uh, just as I put it to a Carlton supporting friend of mine in the media, Essendon just didn't steal from you. They came along, burnt your house down just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, can, I congratulate you for going 24 full minutes without actually mentioning that. Well done. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's quite think, the coup, isn't it? I think, but didn't Carlton just borrow her for a few years, really? That's that, right. That's what I'm saying. But you know what the beautiful thing is? I mean, Obviously, we had Nance Gorn as the first signing, but our first poachings in a way are from our dreaded arch rivals and possibly two of their best possible players. So... We, we strengthen ourselves and we ruin our arch rivals at the same time. There's just simply nothing sweeter. It's glorious <laughs> schadenfreude. Game on in the next season. That's it. Game Part on. B, game, on. <laughs> yep. game on, moles. Yeah. <laughs> and as I think we... it's intriguing what we'll see over the next few days, right? Uh, yes. post-grand post final and, and uh, who, who was saying before we started recording, Pete, was it you talking about the speed with which Adelaide has moved to finish up their best and fairest for the season, knowing at, there's at, going to be some announcements? As we record right now, the uh, Adelaide best and fairest is being held. Unfortunately, I can't open the link to the article because I don't have a subscription to Code Sports, um, but I am told that uh, a trio from the Crows have already signed elsewhere. So that's how fast it's moving. In fact, I uh, was... Uh, tweeting, uh, sorry, messaging a person uh, inside at Essendon um, just before 
this weekend gone. And I said, oh, we're doing a game for you um, in the next round. Hope we can announce some AFLW signings then. And they gave the hint, it's all on after grand final day. And uh, Essendon have done it. Uh, they've made the announcements, as we've said. The Swans have made the announcements and expect some movement out of Hawthorne and Port Adelaide over the coming days. Yes, I think it's going to be pretty pretty swift, pretty interesting, isn't it? But I should mention one thing, because Fee Lamb is wearing a Bulldogs jumper. A couple of players have knocked back offers. That, of course, is Ali Blackburn and Kirsty Lamb. They were potentially offered uh, offers by the Swans and by St Kilda, respectively, and both said, no deal. Oh, why didn't the Swans offer Kirsty? Cousin Kirsty could come back home. <laughs> um, are they after Bonnie? Was Bonnie going to Bombers? Well, apparently, as I've reported, that the that the Bombers made an offer to Bonnie. Other outlets are reporting that the Hawks have made an offer to Bonnie. Uh, both Ali and Kirsty Lamb did a video on W Awards night to say they were committing to the Bulldogs. But so far, Bonnie Too Good has remained tight-lipped. They're losing Bonnie and Izzy out of uh, out of the forward line in the Bulldogs, and be a hard thing to fulfil. I know that Izzy's got an ACL, but um, and probably won't play this Part B season. Um, but I'm curious too because the Giants love to you know recruit someone with an ACL. Um, I know that it's kind of a way to get people in there, but it's real risky. They've done it before successfully and they've done it before unsuccessfully it may basically means you've got someone on that very small list that's inactive well anyway on that note it's time to wrap things up for the grand final edition of the coat hanger and uh that wraps up aflw season six i guess we need to get our goodbye speeches let's go around the panel let's first of all start to my left who is dr emma phillips emma (laughs) a goodbye speech Oh, that makes me all teary, Peter. Is this, is this really it? This is the end of the season. Don't worry, the next season will be here in any <laughs> moment. Yeah, we're just around the corner, isn't it? It's a stone throw away. Um, oh, look, gee, it's hard to wrap up quickly, isn't it? But what just what a season in terms of what these players have been through. And I think it's worth just, you know, having it recorded that this really is, is truly one of the most extraordinary sporting seasons I've seen across any code across any part of the world, what these players had to go through with, you know, schlepping around for COVID reasons through extreme heat, having games scheduled at 1pm on the weekend and then backing up on Wednesday nights, having someone the calibre of Ali Blackburn say that her body was giving out underneath her in the middle of a match. You know, it's just extraordinary. And I just simply want to pay tribute to all of those AFLW women who ran around the park this season and, and went through what they did, I tip my hat to you all. Congratulations and thank you for providing us with such wonderful entertainment in such adverse circumstances. Final thoughts on the season from Tracy Kick. Can't really follow that up, Emma Phillips. You absolutely encapsulated the entire sentiment. I couldn't agree with you more. I think... Um, you know, the, the amount of commitment that, that these women show each season, but particularly last season and this season, I think as we've battled through COVID, I hope that uh, Part B is probably going to be facing, I don't know, similar circumstances. But uh, I think I thought it was a, a really entertaining season as well, uh, right through the trials and tribulations. And the quality of the football was good. Uh, bring back Aideen aside and uh, see you next season. Final thoughts from sometimes Melbourneian, sometimes Sydney sider, Coach Kiwi. 
Yeah, you know, like we're we're all involved in different levels of the game, but um, but we come here because we're fans of the game. We're extremely passionate about uh, women's footy, but especially this AFLW competition. And you know, I think despite us having other teams that are our main support team, we've been really on the bandwagon and sometimes on the piggyback of giants, try, hoping, wishing. Riding the absolute roller coaster of the highs and the lows with them, um, you know, hoping that they would succeed. And and so sometimes I think we get critical, but I think it's also our passion is that we want them to win as much as they want to win. And you know, they've had some really rough couple of seasons with you know with COVID, with you know a lovely teammate passing away, and all sorts of challenges. And you know, they're now looking for a new coach, um, which is another hard thing to replace, I guess. Um, but, you know, right from the get-go, you know, six years ago, forming that team in a state that wasn't really a football state, I think has always been uphill battle. So I think we really um, wish them all the best as we'll probably float more towards the Swans next year, maybe, maybe not. Um, but um, I do want to give a really good shout-out to um, Elise Parker, who has won the Best and Fairest at Giants again. So certainly somebody that you know, they will hold on to and make sure nobody's on the phone ringing her up. And the special award is um, the Cinder Barclay uh, Giants yes. Fearless Award, um, won by Cora Staunton, who they spent a couple of – well, they spent quite a bit of time together. And, um, you know, we've seen how Cora has come back from an absolutely horrendous injury a few years ago and – you know, despite what her birth date may say, she's um, playing like she's 20 years old and, um, you know, really valued winner of this award. So um, can I just jump in there and, and say there's this photo when when Cora was in the hospital with, with a, as you say, horrifically broken leg. <laughs> um, there she was in the hospital and there right next to her in the hospital was Jacinda Barclay. It's yeah. a lovely, lovely little memory to have. Sorry, back to you, Kiwi. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, I'll well done, girls. <laughs> well, I'll leave the final word for the season with our real hostess with the mostess, Fiona Lamb. <laughs> oh, Pete. Look, I, I have um, I, I've made it to the end of the season. I'm pleased about that for sure. <laughs> I think uh, I've had to just step back and, and haven't watched every match, or if I have, I've, I've been lying on the couch, not really engaging. So... My thanks and absolute heartfelt love goes to one Peter Holden. Uh, without you, Pete, the coat hanger wouldn't have continued this year. I don't think we could yeah. have um, done it without you. No. And so the, the time and the effort that you've put in, the dedication to us and your commitment, um, you know, over and above the commitments you already have, um, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Yeah, same here, Pete. Can we give a round of applause Absolutely. to Mr. Peter Holden? Absolutely. Peter Holden, so you're much. amazing. Yeah. Please, please, please. My... Come back as a guest next season, Pete. I, I will, but please, my head's got to fit to go out the door. Please, you know, no, no more praise, no more praise. This has been uh, the grand final edition of the Code Hanger for AFLW Season 6. Uh, you've been catching us on 2SER 107.3 FM. You can still interact with us on the socials at Codehanger Footy on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And the full version of this show in podcast format is available wherever you get your good podcasts from. And as always, for the best harp of views in women's footy, you tune in to the Codehanger. Hanger.